Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, thanks for joining me, either live or on archive. My name is David Fournier, senior instructor here at the Center for Hebraic Insights, and thank you for joining me on my Zohar in 15 show. Hey, so let's get started. Um, we're going to be talking from for those of you that have the English uh, Zohar, Volume Nine. Um, the uh, page is going to be uh, pages 150 to 151. We are in Chapter Four of Portion Beshalach, and we're reading verses 45 through 47. <clears throat> now. Today we're going to be talking about communing with God, like talking with God, like being with God. And when I say that, I'm not specifically just addressing the idea of us doing it when uh, we're sitting in a church service. The rabbis of say just talk about appointed times, um, times that we can draw near to God, certain times. And both the Christian and Jewish faith practices have several set dates and seasons of meetings. That's why it always struck me odd when somebody says, well, you know, Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday, you, you can go to church anytime. But yet Christmas, we would absolutely start a national revolution if they ever said, we're going to celebrate Christmas on the fourth Sunday of December. That would be Jesus' birthday moving forward. So it's interesting that we have that conversation. Now, in the Jewish faith, they, you have, uh, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly observations because there's a heavy emphasis in Judaism about the seasons of the year and the seasons of life. Now, the question I have for us, and what we're going to read here is, are, are we truly meeting? I mean, do we sense when we gather together either corporately as in our church and our Bible studies, do we sense this as a meeting with the creator or the master of the universe? Do we, do we sense that? Or is it kind of like, well, this is church, this is what we do, this is how we, we demonstrate or practice our faith, and we need to readdress, and I want to say this a couple times, we need to readdress the mystical or spiritual practices of our faith. I'm going to say that again. We need to look again, readdress the mystical or spiritual practices of our faith and kind of see if there's a deeper meaning. Because right now our ossified practices and service kind of look like a going through the motions fest, kind of like a, uh, this is what we do. I remember, you know, I grew up in a Baptist Bible Fellowship Church and there was an order of service. And if you didn't believe me, you could go look at the bulletin because it was listed in there, this is the order of service. There was a certain way that things got done. And at the same time, if any changes come, don't blame your pastor. Church members will scream like little kids over changes. You can come back and say, yeah, we kind of go through the motions. Yeah, we do it all the same. But the very first time that anybody in leadership ever tried to change something like that, it would be, as the song says, the end of the world as we know it, I remember once a pastor in a church in Southern California, uh, it was a pretty large sized congregation. The building would hold about a thousand. They ran about five, 600 and everybody would sit in the back. Like the first five or six rows would always be empty. And everybody always fought for their place in their rows that they were sitting rows 11 back. And what he had done is he had taken a small uh, pulpit and put it in the back of the building. And when everybody got done singing and doing their worship songs in the order they're supposed to be done, according to the bulletin, he went all the way to the back of the room, 
turned that forward and then spoke from the back of the room to the back of the head. Very uncomfortable, but very funny, and they were not happy. Now let's get into our text. We're going to start by reading verse 45. Now, by the way, if you read these verses along and you say, well, I don't know what that word means or this word, sometimes we need to stop and look at those words and, and figure them out, and sometimes we don't. So don't panic if you don't know. But here's verse 45. We have learned that the main part of the night is from midnight and further. Even though the first half of the night is part of the night, the Holy One, blessed be he, enters the Garden of Eden at midnight to delight himself with the righteous who are there. Then a person should wake up and become occupied with Torah. The Kabbalistic rabbis and sages are addressing this midnight as this time of, of quiet and a time of calm. Think of the last moment, by the way, when it was quiet and calm. And you had that quiet and calm moment with God. Think of the last moment when you called time out. I want you to think about that for a minute. By the way, the Garden of Eden still exists. The scriptures tell us that it was taken, it was hidden, protected by an angel, but it doesn't say it was ever destroyed. So the Kabbalistic idea that the Garden of Eden is someplace that God can go, and people say, oh, this is not in the scriptures anywhere. Well, it went somewhere, and it's going to serve some kind of purpose. So why not this one? We need to consider this quiet and calm, this conversation, as making this part of our faith practice. And on an individual and also on a community level, a community level as well, something that we do. You know, recently I was watching a, and this is not a paid advertisement, I was recently watching a seminar with Tony Robbins. And one of the things that he keeps doing is that he talks, he'll talk for like four hours. One of the things he does is he talks about how important it is to keep for your physical state, you actually your body, your physical state to stay engaged. And that as your physical state goes, your mental state goes. So every once in a while during his, and if you've seen him on uh, any doing his seminars, he'll have everybody stand up and he goes, all right, shake it out, shake it out. And all right, jump up and down and scream. And then he does this thing with his hands. He goes, whoa, yes. And everybody knows it's time to come back into it again. And, and the first time I saw that, I thought, okay, rah, rah, rah. But then I really started noticing he is developing in the physicality what he's trying to transfer into the mental part. Be sharp, be awake. You need to hear what I, he's saying. You need to hear what I had to say. I need to know that you're capable of paying attention. I want to get you risen up. On the same side of that coin is the ability to, to call time out and to be calm and to be quiet and be reflective. And we'll see the importance about that in the story in First Kings here in a few minutes. And be reflective and listening in our time with God. Now, the verse tells us, Verse 45 told us that God comes to, and this is important, two words, delight himself, delight himself with us. And for many people, this is a very foreign thought, standing of God. Why is God seeking out his people? Why is God coming into the garden at midnight? Again, think of this, people. Don't get locked in your mind. Think, expand a little bit. Think of this, a meeting time, a quiet time whether it's 10 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night, just think for just a moment, whenever you would have the time. God delights himself with his people. We've taken a God of bestowal and sharing and developed him into a God of judgment and anger. When you really, and one of the big Kabbalistic thoughts is why did God create the world? I mean, you would think by stepping back and looking at the picture before the creation of the world, he has everything where he wants it. It's all working. He has no need. 
He doesn't need to be worshipped. He doesn't need to be paid. He doesn't need to be sung to. He doesn't need any of those things. So if, if he's asking us to do these things, it's to benefit us and to bestow upon us. He creates the world so that part of him can be in us. But we take this God of bestowal and this God of sharing, and we block that part out, and we have a God of judgment and a God of anger. I want you to write this down, unless, of course, you're driving. I'll do it anyway. You look at your phone anyway. God does not seek to catch you in the act of doing something wrong, but to catch you in the act of doing something right or doing something well. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Because he delights in you. He's not up there with a cosmic lightning bolt like Thor just waiting for you to, to say his name in vain or to, to commit some perfect sin or do something horrible. He's there. He delights himself with us. Now let's read verse 46. We have learned that the Holy One, by the way, anytime the Zohar says we have learned, or they say, as we've mentioned this already, they really haven't. Scholar Daniel Matt approaches this subject and talks about how that um, you're like, well, I've read the whole thing. I never remember reading it. You won't. But we have learned, verse 46, that the Holy One, blessed be him, hearkens to the voices of all righteous in the Garden of Eden, as it is written. You who dwell in the gardens, the companions hearken to your voice, and you cause me to hear it. That is Song of Solomon, um, 8.13. They've already explained it. Again, that's another one of those catch lines. They haven't, but we're going to. You who dwell in the gardens is the congregation of Israel, namely Malkut. That means the earthly kingdom, the place we walk and touch. The, that praise is the Holy One, blessed be he, with the praise of the Torah during the night. Blessed is the portion or the peace or part of he who joins with her, the congregation of Israel, to praise the Holy One, blessed be he, with praise of Torah. The Holy One, it says, in the garden, hearkens to our voice. Let that sink in for just a minute. Let that sink in. The Holy One is in the garden, hearkening, listening to our voice in that time of that calm and that quiet. This is an exchange, by the way. This is an exchange of hearing and talking and listening. It's not actually like an act of prayer. It's an act of conversation, an act of dialogue. You really have to believe that he exists if you're talking to him. Prayer is kind of, it can become a very ritualized practice. But these are conversations. He's come to delight himself in you. He's come to meet you. And in this calm and quiet, ask you questions and speak with you and hearken to your call. A conversation when the creator of the universe bends the trajectory of heaven down to us. Many people say, well, God's up in heaven doing his thing, and we're all down here doing it. No. There are times, appointed times and seasons and meetings and dates where God bends the trajectory of heaven to delight himself in us, to hearken to our voice, to walk with us. Herein lies the Father's love for his children, is that he finds a place of calm. He finds a place of calm where we can focus. I want to take you to a story. It's a very popular story. I'm sure you've heard it before. First Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 13. Elijah, the prophet, he's had a big victory. And after this big victory, he finds himself on the run because the people that he defeated aren't that excited about what happened. Verse 9 starts up with, speaking of Elijah, in a place called Oreb. Then he came here to the cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse number 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. 
for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left. They seek my life to take it away. So this word, the other translations refer to it as like angel. He says, so go forth and stand on the mountain of the, uh, before the Lord, and behold, the Lord was passing by. Remember the question that he asked. What are you doing here? Okay. A great and strong wind was rending the mountain and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind came an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of gentle blowing like a wind. When Elijah heard it, he's talking about this gentle blowing. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice to him came and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says exactly the same thing back. And we don't have time to talk about verse 15 reveals to us that now he's talking to God. We lend ourselves to measuring the effectiveness of our spiritual gatherings and our spiritual life by the decibel levels it creates. Worth noting, the angel and the Lord both come in asking the same question here. But we lend ourselves to measuring the effectiveness of our spiritual gatherings by their decibel levels. The more people, hallelujah, the more people, whoop, whoop, the more noise that we're making, well, that's more spiritual, that gathering. But yet, sometimes you won't find God in that noise. Sometimes you won't find him in that cycle of worship and those sounds. We can actually take the Malkut, we talked about it earlier, the earthly existence, and elevate it by believing that God exists with so much certainty that we believe God exists, that we seek him out in quiet places, not creating this giant atmosphere of sin. There's nothing wrong, by the way, singing and dancing and celebrating and shouting to the Lord. These are biblical commands, not biblical options, by the way. These are biblical commands. Many times in the Old Testament documents, the singing and and the shouting and the dancing struck fear in the opponent that Israel was getting ready to do battle with. That's something worth noting, huh? Anyway. But the overarching theme with these verses so far is that God wants to meet with you. He wants to delight in you. And, And often we're going to find him in the places where it's quiet. Let's read verse 47. When the morning arrives, so we've been in the Garden of Eden. We've been there after midnight, not the, not the first half of the night, but the second half of the night. He delights himself in meeting with us. He's hearkening to our voice. We've been there now. Now comes morning. When the morning arrives, the congregation of Israel comes, which is Malkut here on earth, and delights with the Holy One, blessed be he. Listen to this. And he extends the scepter of kindness. This is powerful. Not only to her. But to all who join her, we have learned, it is written in the book of Psalms, Hashem will command his steadfast love in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me, Psalms 42.9. This means that the Holy One, blessed be he, draws a thread of kindness during the day for he who occupies himself with Torah during the night. Therefore, the king Malkut, the earthly, is called the hind of the dawn, interesting, since she praises the Holy One, blessed be he, during the night with the praise of Torah. Wow. Now, this is really good. I love this. This is great. We cannot stay in the places of quiet. There's a life 
to do. There's a life to head out there. Remember during the transfiguration in the New Testament documents when when uh, they saw Jesus transfigured, what was the first thing they said? Stay here. We're staying here. We're going to make an altar out of rocks, and we're hanging. And Jesus said, no, no, we got work to do. So as we go through the Garden of Eden, he hearkens to our voice. He delights himself with us. We converse and we talk. The trajectory of heaven is lowered down to heaven, to, from heaven to us to connect with God. Morning is going to come. The Holy One extends, this is great, the scepter of kindness for that next day. Wait, for our journey forward. He goes, why? 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 To carry us through the day. Because it's the day when the battles rages. It's the day when the thought life is challenged. It's the day when we have decisions to make and we don't know what to do. But look at this. It says not only to us, congregation of Israel, but to all that join us. Not only to us, but to all that join us. You see, the spiritual work that we do, you say, well, why, why, what good does it do me to have quiet time and sit around my house and, and be you know, talking with God? And doing these things, why, why does that stuff kind of matter to me? Because to be quite honest with you, it just benefits me. No, the verse says that it benefits them. It benefits not just you, but all that join with you. The spiritual work that you do helps others. By the way, when we are loving on Israel and caring for Israel and supporting Israel, we are also drawing in the blessings of Israel into our lives, not as Jews, but as supporters. So often, our faith practices can be exclusive, counting others out like a badge of accomplishment. Well, we're not like them. We don't believe what they believe. We don't stand with them. But Hashem draws that thread of kindness through the day for us. He's always present. He's always present. It's not beneficial or helpful to be exclusive. It's not beneficial to count others out. So here's our overview. Quick set of points and then we're done. Ready? We can spiritually grow and learn through rest. Seeking God in quiet places. It doesn't always have to be a show. Next, God delights in us and his contact with us. He always comes our way. Think of the stories of the prodigal son and the different parabolic endings that the rabbis had for that. One of the most largest ones taught wasn't the ending that Jesus used. He, he, he's a rabbi. He's going to put his own ending to it. But it's the one that when the king sends out a servant to find the son, he finds his son, he comes back, and he says to the king, I found him. His life is a wreck. And he says he doesn't have enough power to make it all the way back home. He wants to come home, but he can't make it. And the, the king tells the servant, go back and tell him, I'll meet him halfway. Next, God observes us for his pleasure, not to punish us but to delight in us. We saw that there needs to be times we call time out and we meet with God where there's no other thing going on. I'm not doing this because I want something. I'm not doing anything because I'm after something. I'm not doing this because it feels good. I'm just saying I just want to commune with God. I just want to talk. In the morning, the verse is told us, code for like next day, next event. God places the thread of kindness out for us. It's interesting that word he uses there is thread. It's not a giant chain or a huge rope. It's not something where you trip over going out there. It's something you've got to sense. You have to look at it. You see those little threads on your shirt. What's the first thing you do? You just pull at them until you pull half your shirt apart. You pull at them 
but that thread is there to remind us how to find our way home. We said we really need to focus on elevating our consciousness towards spiritual work and development. I think we're selling this short. I think it's much more spiritual, mystical, if I can use that word, and powerful than we're letting on. I think we've we've got our hands on something tremendously powerful at our disposal, and we're the ones who are regulating it. We learned that relationship with God is, is fluid. It's not static or ossified. While we have rituals in place, and they're designed to bring us to points of connection, we forget we are the connection. We have to make the effort to connect. And we can do that through these periods of quiet and of rest and of seeking God in the garden. And lastly, our relationship with God goes several different directions. And there's an interesting set. It's called back-to-back face-to-back, and face-to-face, different levels of intimacy that we go with God. When we're struggling and we're trying to figure things out and we're not doing a good job and we're just kind of going through the motions, at that moment where something was called back-to-back, God is looking down on the range of the, of the course of human history, directing us where to go. We turned around and we're facing another direction. Remember that idea of Teshuva, repentance is that 180, so that we turn back around to be going the direction that God is going. So sometimes we find ourselves back-to-back, intimacy not present, struggle between us, tension, not really knowing what the other person behind us is doing. Next is face-to-back. This is where we spend most of our spiritual endeavors is that God is watching over us as we're walking through the journey. Most of us are there in face-to-back. And the final one is face-to-face. This is the one that we have these rare moments in our life where we have this ultimate clarity in seeing God as he is, seeing a miracle, seeing it in, a small, in, a cha- in the face of a small child, whatever it may be. These miracles occur in front of us. We sense that power. That's that moment of face-to-face where you're looking right into, right into the connection with God. The rabbis are talking about here saying, why aren't we doing that more often? Why aren't we doing We can't live face-to-face. We can't stay there. Morning's going to come. We're going to have to move forward. But we can always look for that thread of kindness. And by the way, if God is giving something to us, he expects us to share it with others. And maybe that's why it's called the thread of kindness. My name is David Fournier, lead instructor here at the Center of Hebraic Insight. Thanks for joining me to live our archive on the Zohar in 15 show. Mm-hmm.